You're listening to the Wellness Insider Network, episode number 54. Welcome to the Wellness Insider Network podcast, a place where you discover how to create a balanced, vibrant, and stress-free life with the right food, herbs, and self-care techniques. I'm your host, Lana Camille. I'm a college professor, drug information pharmacist, and an herbalist. Thank you for joining me on this adventure. Let's get the show started. Hi there. I hope you're having a good week. Um, you probably know by now that I'm a huge fan of medicinal mushrooms. Learning about them and trying to incorporate them into our lives is incredibly wise considering all the benefits they provide. My today's guest is a true mycophile. That means a lover of mushrooms. And his name is Jeff Chilton. Jeff studied ethnomycology at the University of Washington in late 60s and started working on a commercial mushroom farm upon graduation. During the next 10 years, he became the production manager responsible for cultivation of over 2 million pounds of mushrooms per year and was involved in the research and development of shiitake, oyster, and enoki mushrooms resulting to fresh shiitake sales in the United States. In the late uh, 1970s, he founded Mycomedia, which was a conference that brought together educators and experts in mushroom identification, ethnomycology, and mushroom cultivation. During this period, Jeff co-authored a highly acclaimed book, The Mushroom Cultivator. In 1989, he started a medicinal mushroom company uh, called Namex. Namex was the first to offer a complete line of certified organic mushroom extracts to the U.S. nutritional supplement industry. His company extracts are used by many supplement companies and are noted for their high quality based on scientific analysis of active compounds. My hope is that by the end of this episode, you'll want to continue digging deeper, learning more about medicinal mushrooms, and figuring out how to bring them into your life. Enjoy. Hello, Jeff. How are you doing? Hi, Lana. Fine. Thank you very much for having me. So great to have you here. I'm excited. We're talking about mushrooms, and mushrooms is one of those areas that I really love, and I'm so passionate about helping others to understand why they are such amazing allies for us. So before we start talking about mushrooms, I wanted to ask you to tell us a little bit about yourself. How does someone become a mycologist? And you ended up studying ethnomycology. So tell us what ethnomycology is and why mushrooms became a passion for you. Well, I was born in the Pacific Northwest. So I was born in an area that has lots of rain. It's, it's evergreen. So uh, we also have a lot of mushrooms because of that. So we have one of the, the best areas in the world for wild mushrooms. So every fall I was exposed to mushrooms. And then when I was younger, I was taken out on mushroom hunts with uh, adults. And, you know, a lot of mushroom hunts are kind of like treasure hunts. It's so much fun. You get out, you walk through the woods. If you find them, it's like finding treasure. So, so... When I went to university, 
I, I, my, my major was anthropology, but I was really in, in anthropology. I was really interested in, in, um, Oh, religion and shamanism. And what I discovered was that mushrooms have been used for thousands of years in religion and shamanism. And, and that kind of tied the two things together for me. So as I was studying anthropology, as I was learning about the use of mushrooms worldwide in shamanism, in as food, um, I also was able to study mycology. And the University of Washington had a fantastic mycology department. So, so although there is no such thing as a degree in ethnomycology, I was studying anthropology and I was, and my anthropological studies were mostly geared around uh, mushrooms. So I, I like to think of it as a study in ethnomycology. That is fabulous. Tell our listeners, at least those that might not know what it is, what is shamanism? Well, shamanism is actually the use of different plants by native healers where these plants are psychoactive and they will take the shaman and or the sick person into let's just let's just call it a trance or into another space that is uh, a very healing space and a space where the shaman then will look deeply into this person and try to figure out exactly what is ailing them. And, and here, here's what's really interesting, is uh, in the 1950s, a, a um, New York banker and his Russian wife uh, traveled around the world, and they actually discovered the use of these mushrooms in different parts of the world. And one of the places they discovered them was in the deep mountains of Mexico. So... In Mexico, and during the 50s, he and a French mycologist went to Mexico and spent five summers there during the rainy season looking for these mushrooms and connecting with shamans. And, and these shamans ultimately brought him in, and he was part of some of the ceremonies there. And that opened up a lot of the, the ideas uh, for my generation about shamanism, the use of plants. These were, were mushrooms that produced visions, so to speak. And so that became part of my study. He was one of the people that I read a lot of. And believe it or not, his books, one of them, his very first book that he put out in 1957 called Mushrooms, Russia, and History, was there was only 500 copies of this book published. And one of those copies was in the rare book room of the University of Washington. So I literally would go in there and I, I, I could only view this book in the rare book room. I had to sign in and they would go pull it off the shelves and bring it down to me. And that's where a lot of my studies took place, in that rare book room. That is fabulous. It's interesting that you are mentioning him and his wife and his Russian wife, because um, you know that my roots also come from that part of the world. And so it's it's been fascinating for me because 
Mushrooms is something that most Russian community here in the United States or back home or in Ukraine, where I come from, mushrooms were just part of your life and people really loved them and people really enjoyed eating them. And so when I came here, I was completely confused and surprised by the fact that people were not really as open to eating mushrooms. I took an herbal class with uh, Rosemary Gladstar, I don't know, 10 years ago. And uh, one of my best friends, I remember how scared she was. Herbs? Yes, please. Mushrooms? Uh, not really. And so that was just such a huge surprise to me. And so um, as I continued learning more about them, more about the science, more about different aspects of it, I started to try to share this with my students, with now with my audience, because I think they're absolutely fabulous. And I know that this is, this is your uh, passion is, and this is your life's work. So I know that we agree on that. Yeah, yes. And actually, they're, they're, they have a term for that. They call people like you and I, they call us um, uh, mycophiles. Right. And somebody that has a fear of mushrooms, they call them a mycophobe, yes. somebody who's afraid of mushrooms. And, and you know what, that's just, I'm not sure exactly where that came from, but uh, in the, the UK and a lot of the immigrants that came to the United States, the English ones, they were familiar with one mushroom. Well, they were familiar with mushrooms, but only one that they cultivated. And then there was enough stories in this, this new continent about mushrooms that can kill you and poisonous mushrooms that a lot of people just grew up with a real fear of mushrooms and especially wild mushrooms. It was like being taught, do not pick the mushrooms. When in fact, mushrooms are a wonderful food. Uh, and, and you know, it, actually in the UK in the 1700s, mushrooms were called poor man's meat. Mm. Fascinating. I think there is some legitimate... Um, you know, fears that uh, we have to acknowledge because there are mushrooms that can kill you. There are few, Absolute. very few plants that can. There are some that can be poisonous. But mushrooms, if you are unlucky and if you don't know what you're doing, you can certainly get, you know, very severe poisoning, something that could not uh, end very well. Well, you know, what's interesting is there was actually an article in uh, the Vancouver Sun today mm -hmm. about the uh, deadly Amanita mushrooms that are growing in the Vancouver area. And and uh, I have a friend of mine has been the president of the Mycological Society in Vancouver, and he has been one of the people that has discovered a lot of locations where this mushroom grows. So he says, do not go mushroom hunting in the city. Go out in the woods because you won't encounter this mushroom. But what I tell people always is never, ever, ever eat a wild mushroom that you haven't definitely identified with somebody who knows them very, very well. And if you want to go out on a mushroom hunt and don't know where to do it or who to go with, contact your local mycological society. They're happy to take you out on a mushroom hunt. And I think that's a very important message for anyone that is listening to this. And by the end of this episode, is thinking, these things are amazing. I should really go and get me some. So it, it's really, it, it, I think that the word of caution is a very important one. Yes. And, and you know, um, so, so in, in after my university career, I spent a year and a half in Mexico. Mm -hmm. And I actually traveled back into the mountains to these places to 
track down some of these shamans to go into these areas where they had these mushrooms. Uh, I kind of looked at that as field work in a way, although it was not connected to the university. So, so this was something that kind of finalized my my uh, career sort of in the university and ethnomycology. And then in 1973, knowing that there weren't a lot of jobs for anthropologists, I went and got a job at the only commercial mushroom farm in Washington state. And I spent the next 10 years on this commercial mushroom farm. And I literally lived with mushrooms and we were growing two million pounds of agaricus mushrooms every year. That is fascinating. And I do want to ask you a couple of questions about that. But before uh, I do, I want to take us a step back. And so I want to ask you a very basic question. What is a mushroom? Can you talk to us about this particular organism? Um, from time to time, you read things that say that genetically humans are more similar to mushroom than we are to plants. We are all consuming uh, oxygen rather than carbon dioxide like plants. Can you talk to us about mushrooms in general? Also, some of the parts of the mushrooms, like you hear words like mycelium and fruiting body and other things. Like, can you can you talk about these things? Well, well, certainly you're right. The the, the fact is is that that mushrooms um, breathe in oxygen. They exhale carbon dioxide, like us. Mushrooms also use glycogen as their storage carbohydrate. So do we plants manufacture starch. So, so this fungal organism, um, the life cycle of this, it goes something like this. Mushrooms do not have seeds. Mushrooms have spores. So let's just start with that spore. The spores produced by the, by the mature mushroom, they float out of the gills of that mushrooms. And, the, and, and it's interesting. I measured this once with a reishi mushroom. That one reishi mushroom produced 500 grams of spores. That is like billions and billions of spores from wow. one mushroom. So those spores, they will circulate out into the environment. They will land in on the ground, on the wood. The spores, if, when conditions are right, will germinate. When they germinate, they produce a very fine filament uh, multiple spores producing these filaments. Those filaments will fuse together. And when they fuse together, they form a network called mycelium. Mycelium is the actual fungal organism. That's the body of the organism. And that mycelium, generally speaking, is perennial. As long as it has food, whether it's a log, a tree, uh, all of that organic matter that lays on the ground, as long as it has food, it will stay in that one place and continue to grow out from that one spot. So that is what we call the vegetative body. Now, when conditions are right, and, and for us here in the Northwest, that's right now, it's raining, the temperature drops, it's fall, the fruiting body or what we call a mushroom, appears. And, and that mushroom is very ephemeral compared to the mycelium. The mycelium is perennial. That mushroom might be there for one week. It might be there for 
three or four weeks, but it's up, it matures, and then it decomposes. Now, as it matures, it gets up to a certain point and it starts producing spores. And now we've got a complete life cycle there. So when I think of this fungal organism that we're used to saying is a mushroom, there are three uh, major plant parts. There are spores, there is mycelium, and there are mushrooms. And traditionally, uh, and in traditional Chinese medicine, it is the mushroom that is utilized as the medicinal part of these three, what I call plant parts. You know how herbs, we're talking plant parts, we're talking roots, we're mm -hmm. talking flowers, we're talking fruit. Same with the mushroom. We have to be very cognizant of the fact that there are plant parts here, and those plant parts are very, very distinctive. Very interesting. Thank you. So since we're talking about mushrooms, and since we're both declaring our love to mushrooms, I wanted to ask you a little bit about benefits of mushrooms. And you're talking about three different parts. Um, and usually the benefits that come, they come from, from specific ingredients or combinations of ingredients. So where do they usually reside? What are some of the parts that carry these ingredients? Well, what's really interesting about a mushroom is that the cell walls are composed of beta-glucans. And beta-glucans are the uh, compounds that have been identified by scientists as being immunologically active. All mushrooms are made up of these beta-glucans, and again, up to 50% of the cell wall. They also have something in that cell wall called chitin, which is something that is used. It's structural in there, and that actually makes a lot of mushrooms, or mushrooms in general, we don't digest them in our stomach. They go through our stomach and they're mostly digested in our intestines. So, so the mushroom has the beta-glucans. Uh, mycelium has beta-glucans. So it also has the beta-glucans there. These are our, um, the two, the, the, this is the major compound. Um, there's also other compounds manufactured in mushrooms called uh, triterpenoids, which are found in reishi, uh, chaga. The beta-glucans are what are immunologically active. These are what are called biological response modifiers. So they are the most important compound. But the other compounds like triterpenoids in specific mushrooms are important, as is a compound called ergosterol. And, and this is, this is a, a compound. Ergosterol is similar to our cholesterol. So ergosterol, cholesterol, and here's what's really interesting about ergosterol. Ergosterol is pro-vitamin D. Now, now, maybe you've heard people say, oh, mushrooms are high in vitamin D. They are not high in vitamin D, but they have this compound in them, this sterol called ergosterol. It's pro-vitamin D, and when you expose it to UV light, that turns it into vitamin D2. Now, most vitamin D2 on the market is, is produced by yeast. That's where they get most of it. But 
you can take your mushrooms that you buy, you can slice them up, you can put them outside for 15 to 30 minutes, and those sliced mushrooms, that ergosterol will turn into vitamin D. So you can get vitamin D from something other than, for example, vitamin D3 is from animals. Some people don't eat animal products. So this is a great source of vitamin D for people from a fungal source. So so you'll have ergosterol, you'll have triterpenoids, you'll have um, beta-glucans. These are some of the primary compounds that we find in a medicinal mushroom. And, and just to be clear, all mushrooms have beta-glucans because that's part of the cell wall. But certain mushrooms have a, these beta-glucans come in different structures. They have different architectures. And those architectures are the difference between one mushroom being highly medicinal and another mushroom being, well, not so medicinal, still a great food, but not as immunologically active as, let's say, a reishi or a maitake or a shiitake or something like that. So the agaricus mushroom, great edible. It has beta-glucans. It does have some immunological activities, but not on the same level as something like a reishi or a uh, maitake or shiitake. Thank you. That's great. It's interesting that when you're talking about beta-glucans, I remember the first lessons in beta-glucans that I got, that these are complex sugars. And so what they do to our immune system is they trigger it by kind of like making our immune system wake up and think, what exactly is this? I don't recognize this compound. And then because it is safe and it really is not doing anything harmful to the system, but it is, it has awakened the system. This is the main function to kind of to, to stimulate to some effect or to uh, modulate the immune system. And so, yeah, that's absolutely right. Yeah. In fact, in fact, we actually have, this is really interesting. We have beta glucan specific beta glucan receptors. So it's almost like a lock and key. These beta-glucans from the mushrooms come in, they hit that receptor site, and then that receptor site says, okay, we're going to produce some macrophages. We're going to produce some NK cells or helper T cells. So this is the, the mechanism that they have, science has discovered, that activates our immune system and modulates it. And, and that's kind of the, the, the thing that I think is so interesting because, in a sense, I look at mushrooms primarily as something that work as prevention. Mm -hmm. There's something that we want to be consuming regularly. They're, they're in the background. When we need them, they will modulate our immunity to produce these cells. So that's really a key point I'd like to make about mushrooms. Don't expect to take a mushroom supplement today and your cold is going away tomorrow, that's not how they work. And anybody that says that, I'm sorry, that's just wrong. No, they are, are working in the background. They have, you really have to be taking them for a while for them to be, to be actively working for you. Just something that I wanted to mention is that perhaps some of our listeners perhaps have heard about beta glucan. And, uh, one thing that you will recognize is that they are not, they occur in other, uh, places as well in, in other foods like oats also have, uh, supposedly beta glucan. Am I correct? Yes. And, and here's, here's the key to that is that oats and, and grains have a beta one three one four 
Mm-hmm. And whereas mushrooms are a beta one three one six, and the one six and the one four uh, relates to the branching of that beta glucan. So your oat beta glucans uh, and grain beta glucans do not have the same potency or efficacy as the mushroom beta glucans. They're still good for you, but they're not immunologically active in anywhere close to the same way that these mushroom beta-glucans are. And this is where it gets into, again, the structure and the architecture of that beta-glucan. And mushrooms and fungi have a very specific type of architecture, and each species will vary a little bit in how that beta-glucan is put together. Fabulous. Thank you. So there are a couple of things that you mentioned a few minutes ago. So one of them, you talked about the fact that you were growing agaricus and shiitakes and various other mushrooms. And the other one, you were saying that your career started at a mushroom farm. And I want to take you back to that time and tell us a little bit about it. Like what happened there? Um, also, tell us how uh, you selected these particular mushroom species. Why were they grown? Was it benefits? Was it ease of growing? Was it specific conditions that they required? Tell us a little bit about those days. Well, the mushroom farm that I, I uh, worked at was uh, a very, very large farm. It was over, over uh, close to 200 people were working there. And, and a mushroom farm, when you're growing mushrooms, you have what's called a cropping cycle. So every week you're putting in, let's say, for example, four new crops every week. And these are all grown. The mushrooms are all grown in what we might consider a very large warehouse and it's climate controlled. So every week and and the agaricus mushroom grows on a compost. So think about this for a second, Lana. Every week we were producing 320 tons of compost, 80 tons for every crop. Wow. So, so now, now we were putting in four new houses. We were throwing out four old houses because again, this is a 90 day cropping cycle. Now, now think about this too. Um, I'm seeing four new crops every week times 50 weeks, 200 crops a year, I am seeing 2,000 crops, uh, individual crops of mushrooms in the 10 years that I'm working on that farm. Think how many crops a normal farmer is going to see in a lifetime. 50? So, so now the other, the other really great thing is when I was there, we had a Japanese scientist that was our head of research and development. And he was the one that was growing smaller crops of shiitake, oyster mushroom, and enokitake. And I was able to work with him. His name was Dr. Urayama. And because of him, I learned about these other mushrooms that were grown in Asia and were, were uh, shiitake especially was a very, very large food crop in Asia. So I was really fortunate to be introduced to these other mushrooms while I was on this agaricus farm. So that exposure to me was, was really important because then I started to look at growing other types of mushrooms so that by the time I left the farm in 1983, I was well on my way to, to looking at multiple other species and also looking at them as medicinal 
rather than necessarily edible. This is fascinating. So one thing that you mentioned is the connection to Asia. And so um, I know that you have traveled extensively and that you have been to China and that you have been to Asia. And so uh, growing these specific types of mushrooms that you mentioned, whether it is shiitake or whether it is uh, enoki mushrooms, um, and really learning about them, is that what took you to Asia? But what really, what was the reason why you stayed and really explored a lot of different mushroom farms there? Well, um in 1989, there was an international mushroom conference in China, and I went to this conference, and that was the beginning of me spending a lot of time in China. Through, throughout the 90s, I traveled to China extensively, and I visited farms. I visited research institutes. I went to conferences. I visited factories that were making mushroom extracts. I learned so much during those 10 years. In fact, and in 1989, I also started my new business, Namex, which was supplying mushrooms to the nutritional supplement business. Now, now, while I was doing this in the 90s, one of the things that I realized was that you can't grow mushrooms in North America as supplements because what happens is if you you can grow the mushrooms for food and I can take my shiitake to the market and get five dollars a pound for the fresh for the fresh shiitake but mushrooms are 90 percent water like most vegetables so when you dry those out now a grower has to get fifty dollars for that pound of shiitake dried shiitake mushroom the economics do not work. Can you imagine if you were if you were wanting to produce, let's say, a, a four to one extract and you you were using four kilos to make one kilo and now your raw materials are up over a hundred dollars per kilo, that's four hundred dollars just for the raw materials going into a four to one extract. The economics don't work. So I realized that in order to bring medicinal mushroom products to North America into the herbal market. I had to source these from China. And, and in fact, in 1997, I organized the very first um, organic mushroom certification course in China, 1997. And that was with OCIA from the United States. And now all of the mushrooms that we grow and process in China are organically certified by high-quality German certifiers. You talked a little bit about the company when you started it. So I want to take you, I want to follow up on this a little bit more. So you started the company, tell me again when it was done in... 19, 1989. 1989. And so when you began the company, what was the mission? The mission was to offer a product that was delivered to supplement companies? Well, yes. And actually, you know, the... the the name of my company at that point was North American Reishi. And I, I looked at Reishi as being the premier medicinal mushroom. And, you know, there is a fantastic amount of mythology with Reishi. It's in Chinese art. It is considered the mushroom of immortality. It's a longevity mushroom. When you see the god of longevity in China, 
the the symbols for longevity there is the peach, um, a deer, and the deer antlers, and the reishi mushroom. These are symbols of longevity in China. So I really thought I'm going to bring the reishi mushroom. That's going to be one of the primary things that I'm going to bring to the nutritional supplement industry. And believe it or not, the very first natural foods expo that I went to back in 1990, I was walking the floor of the natural foods with a reishi mushroom in my hand, trying to interest herbal companies in mushrooms. And None of them had a mushroom product. There was not a single mushroom product in the market at that time. Everybody had green herbs. And they just looked at that reishi mushroom. Can you imagine? They looked at that mushroom and they just said, what is that? Is that a piece of wood? Is that a sculpture? What is that? They had no idea. And I had to literally educate people and companies all through the 90s. I wrote articles. I had wrote books, had books produced about medicinal mushrooms. The 90s for me was trying to introduce mushrooms. I even had a booth at the Natural Foods Expo all through the 90s. So, you know, I was really an outlier at that point. There was really nobody that was in that field. So it took a long time for mushrooms to be picked up because somebody would say to me, you know, um, this is great, but we have no demand for that. So why should we put out a mushroom product? Nobody's asking for it. It's it's always very interesting and a very difficult place to be a pioneer. So how <laughs> how did the name change? Well, at one point we decided that North American Reishi was kind of a little bit of a long name. And, uh, and so we decided that we would use Namex. And Namex stands for North American medicinal mushroom extracts. Okay. So it's kind of an acronym for that. And Namex had a kind of a nice ring to it. So even though the company still is a, a corporation called North American Reishi, our trade name is, is Namex. And that, that works a little better. This was the late nineties and we got a, a logo and sort of did all those things that businesses have to do to get noticed a little more. Okay, um, that, that makes sense. That makes sense. So, so tell us a little bit about the company itself, and what are some of the lines of products, and what are some of the mushrooms that you actually incorporate in your products, uh, in your extracts today, and also why extracts? Okay, well, you know, we can eat mushrooms, and and, and uh, first of all, we we sell probably ten to twelve different mushroom species, and the way that I've I've uh, selected those. I will look at what is being used by traditional Chinese medicine. What are the major mushrooms being used? And, and, and that's fairly easy. We, you know, we've got reishi, shiitake, um, cordyceps, maitake, lion's mane. Um, those are sort of the main ones, but there's about 10 or 12 of them. And then I go out and I look at the scientific literature and I say, how much scientific uh, work has been done with this particular species. And, and you know, Lana, I have a book on my shelf that says it's icons of medicinal mushrooms. It comes from China. They list 270 species that there has been at least some indication that these are medicinal. Well, you know, you can't hardly sell 270 different species of mushrooms. So for me, it is figuring out what are the important ones that have been used traditionally, uh, and then what is the science, if there's lots of science behind it, then that 
part of our product line. And and in terms of extracts, you know, you could grind up mushrooms into a powder. And I look at all that as as kind of um, last century's herbalism where people would just dry herbs, they grind it to a powder, they put it in capsules, and then you know how it goes in the marketplace. You you have a bottle and it's got 60 capsules, take two a day, and there's 500 milligrams per capsule. And it's like, okay, yeah, that's that's a month's supply. But ground up herbs, two capsules is not going to be very effective, no matter really what herb it is. And, and it's the same with mushrooms. You really need more. So you need to concentrate those into uh, a form where you're going to get, when you have 500 milligrams, you're going to get more of the active compounds. And, and to be clear, we don't try to build up the active compounds. All we want to do is to, to remove everything in as close to the natural profile as possible from that mushroom fiber and, and get it into a more concentrated form so that you don't have to take two or five grams of this to get anything. Instead, you might be able to actually take 500 milligrams of this particular extract. So that's one of the reasons that we uh, make extracts. And we have two different types of extracts. We have what we call our one-to-one, which is um, we take the mushroom and we powder it. We put it and water extract it. We concentrate the fluid down. We don't get rid of the powder. We send that powder and concentrated fluid to a spray dryer. What comes out is what we call our one-to-one extract. One kilo of mushroom powder in, one kilo of extract out. And we look at that as pre-digesting that mushroom powder, which otherwise would we wouldn't get all the benefits from. Um, and then we have more concentrated extracts that are maybe four to one, eight to one. Uh, our most concentrated extracts are reishi extract, which is 16 to one. And, and again, those are uh, um, uh, we don't we don't leave the fiber in because you can't take 16 kilos and uh, put them into one kilo. So we extract those three times instead of just once. Uh, and in the case of reishi, one time with alcohol as well as three times with water. And and at that point, we figure we have gotten everything out of that mushroom fiber. So we will then filter the fiber out and just have the concentrated extract. And and let me tell you, um, you know, like last year at the American Herbalist Guild Conference, I had reishi extract there and people that tasted it were just absolutely blown away at how powerful and medicinal that extract is. I mean, it's a, it's an amazing extract. Reishi's bitter. Those bitters are really an amazing part of the reishi mushroom. Those are that's responsible uh, to the triterpenes. You talked a little bit about extracting and using different uh, different uh, menstruums. So you were talking about alcohol versus water extraction. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the reason why you need to use these different types of um, extracts in mushrooms? Well, you know, most of the mushrooms we're talking about beta-glucans. The beta-glucans that we can actually only use water because they don't have other compounds that we need alcohol to get out of. So most of the compounds that we're looking for in mushrooms are water-soluble beta-glucans. Those are the active beta-glucans, the water-soluble ones. 
Some mushrooms like chaga or reishi or a, a felinus, they have these triterpenoid compounds and you can get a lot of those triterpenoids out with water, but if you want to get all of them out, you need alcohol. And so alcohol will draw out the remaining triterpenes that we can't get out with water. So alcohol is really um, worthwhile when you have compounds that are, are not water soluble. So that's really the difference. And most mushrooms, you can get everything you need with a, a hot water extract, but some of them you'll need to do an extra step where you'll also be um, extracting them with alcohol. Great. Thank you so much. If you were someone who is relatively new to this field and you are starting to explore mushrooms, how do you even begin? Are there certain resources that you would recommend? I am certainly planning to include the link to your company and link to your book, but are there other resources that you could recommend to someone? Well, well, certainly there are. You know, one of, one of the great books out there is called Medicinal Mushrooms. It's by a man named Christopher Hobbs. It's readily available and, and not too expensive. There's another a book out there, and I think that book is, um, well, it's by a man named Martin Powell, and I believe the title of it is just um, uh, Medicinal Mushrooms, a clinical guide to medicinal mushrooms. It's it's a great resource, too. It's more expensive, but it's a really good resource. And there's other some other smaller books that a person can find. And, and you know, we also have on our website, we have my white paper which is there and people can read through that. And we also have, we have information that is so deep on quality issues with mushrooms on, I have a 30 minute slideshow on there that has how to grow, how you grow mushrooms, how our mushrooms are grown in China. Jeff, you mentioned that all of your extracts become part of other supplements, but other, is there a line that is available to customers, to consumers directly? We actually have, um, we're primarily a supplier of raw materials, so bulk powders to other companies. But we do have a retail line. Uh, you can you can find that retail line at realmushrooms.com. Okay. So realmushrooms.com. You can buy the products. And and one of the reasons we did that was because a lot of times my customers will blend our products with other herbs, and so trying to find our products at times that are pure 100% the, the mushroom extracts that we sell is not easy. So that's why we put out the retail line because we get we get people calling and where can we get your products? And, and so we put out the retail line. We also, of course, support uh, the our customers as well. So Makes sense. Okay, great. Thank you. Um, so as our interview is coming to an end, I have two more questions for you. So one of them is, what is your home on internet? Where can uh, we find you? And then the second one, do you have any last words of wisdom uh, for our listeners? Well, you can find me at Namex dot com n-a-m-m-e-x dot com and go to the educational section on our website again i've got some really good slideshows there that show a lot of how we grow our mushrooms the differences in quality you can get my white paper there 
we're we're deep and rich and we in in uh, information and we've got some great photos there of the products. I mean, you know, Lana, right now one of the products that we've got that is really so great is cordyceps, but this cordyceps is a hundred percent the mushroom cordyceps. There's no insect. It doesn't grow on insect. It's just the cordyceps mushroom. And it is bright orange in color. Wow. It is an amazing mushroom. And what I like to say to people is I is I my um, philosophy is first put mushrooms into your diet. Mm. They're a wonderful food. And, and now we have access to so many different mushrooms out there. We've got fresh shiitake, oyster mushrooms. Um, we've got the, the king trumpet. We've got maitake. It's a, it's a wonderful time for edible mushrooms. And so put mushrooms into your diet. I eat mushrooms at least three or four times a week in my meals. And, and when you're cooking your mushrooms, one other thing too is use a hot pan. Do not use a, a heat that's too low because then what will happen is all the water will come right out of the mushrooms. They'll be sitting in fluid. Then you'll eat them and you go, ah, these are slimy. I don't like them. Hot pan. Um, I like to brown my mushrooms up little bit of salt, a little bit of pepper, or put them in anything. Put them in eggs. Put them in stir fries. Mushrooms go with everything. Start to eat mushrooms. They're a great addition to your diet. And then at that point, if you feel that maybe you're run down, maybe you you are older and, and want to want to take a part with the mushroom of immortality, the reishi mushrooms, Think about supplementation at that point in time, you know, and think about mushrooms as preventive medicine. And this is what I love so much, Lana, food as medicine. What a great message. Jeff, thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming to the show and sharing your wisdom and sharing your message. It's been my pleasure. It's been great talking to you. Thank you so much for having me. Likewise. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation with Jeff Chilton. Uh, you can find all the links mentioned in today's episode in the show notes at wellnessinsidernetwork.com slash 54. Please subscribe to the show to get the future episodes automatically downloaded to your device. This episode is proudly brought to you by Herb Mentor. Herb Mentor is a service provided by an innovative herbal education company, learningherbs.com. Some people use Herb Mentor as a personal herbal home study program. Others explore a variety of features it has to offer or utilize it along with other programs or studies. At the same time, there is a large group of people that uses the forum to connect with other curious about plants. Head over to the show notes at wellnessinsider.com slash 54 and check out Herb Mentor link and begin to continue your journey in the world of herbal medicine. Thanks again for being here. I appreciate you. Be smart. Be healthy. Be you.